And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Jesus is the reason for the season. And a blessed, a joyous Christmas to all of you. Today, Pastor Elliot takes us one more time to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And there we will see that Jesus was beheld by the angels. Come, let's copy the angels by adoring Christ, the newborn King. And now with our message is our own Pastor Robert Elliott. So this Christmas, I invite you to join me in meditating on the fact that Jesus Christ was vindicated by the Holy Spirit as being truly God, and to with me consider and to marvel at the fact that your Lord Jesus was certified to be your Messiah by the Spirit no less than five times at the incarnation, at the baptism, at the transfiguration, at the resurrection, and at the ascension. So what have we seen so far in the early church's Christmas carol? We've seen fact one, that Christ revealed God in the flesh, the babe in the manger. Fact two, we've seen that Christ was Holy Spirit vindicated as being God the Savior. There was an angelic choir that sang the birth announcement in the rural night sky. And now we move on to our third and last point for this morning. It's in the middle of verse 16, and essentially is this, adoration. Adoration. That is, Jesus Christ was beheld by angels. Do you see it there in the middle of verse 16? And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels. Please don't miss this. Beheld by angels. Most of us are fascinated to look at angels. We wonder what they look like. We wonder what their gender is. We wonder a lot about them. We wonder if we've ever entertained one unawares. Currently, our television shows and some of our movies incorporate angels. And Christian bookstores sell statues and figurines and books and artwork about angels. I think you would admit with me that we are fascinated to look at angels. But the strange thing about scripture is that angels are fascinated to stare upon Jesus Christ. The gospels make it very plain that angels were present and were very Interested observers at Christ's birth, at his temptation, at his suffering in Gethsemane, at his resurrection, at his ascension into heaven with glory. Angels looked on Christ. They couldn't take their eyes off of him on all these occasions. Biblically, of course, it is angels who are captivated and intrigued by Jesus Christ to the point of riveting their gaze upon him. Yes, the angels stare at who Jesus is, and the angels stare at what Jesus has done, and angels will continue to do so for all of eternity. 1 Peter 1.12 informs us that it is the angels who stoop down to longingly stare in on the marvelous work of God to save sinners who hear the gospel, who believe the gospel, and who trust Christ alone for their salvations. 
First Peter 1.12 says, It was revealed to them, that is, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have been now told you by those who have been preaching the gospel to you by way of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Here it is. Even angels long to look into these things. We are surely not wrong to think of the serried ranks of cherubim and seraphim gazing in awe over the parapets of glory as the eternal sun transversed the dusty lanes of planet Earth. These who had veiled their faces before his glory and cried, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, must have watched with bated breath as they saw the incarnate maker die for man the creature's sin. Indeed, legions of seraphs would gladly have sprung to the rescue of the Lord from the cross, but of course no summons came. That was a quote from John Williams. Yes, Jesus could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. No boundless love for you and me and a world of sinners. A boundless love held Jesus to that cross. The nails and spikes had nothing to do with it. Love did. Love made Jesus a volunteer and not a victim. Christmas. Revelation. Vindication. Adoration. Revelation. He appeared in a body. Vindication was vindicated in the spirit. Adoration beheld by angels. I invite you to join me this, these weeks coming to ponder these truths. For great is the mystery of godliness. C.S. Lewis shared this in a radio address. Quote, Lying at your feet is your dog. Imagine for a moment that your dog and every dog is in deep distress. Some of us love dogs very much. If it would help all the dogs in the world to become like men, would you be willing to become a dog? Would you put down your human nature, leave your loved ones, your job, hobbies, your art and literature and music, and choose instead of the intimate communion with your beloved, the poor substitute of looking into the beloved's face and wagging your tail, unable to smile or to speak? Christ, by becoming man, limited the thing to him which was the most precious thing in the world, his unhampered unhindered communion with his father. End of quote. Jesus voluntarily gave up his unhindered, unhampered communion with his father when he revealed God in the flesh to us. No wonder Christ was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. No wonder Jesus was adored by the angels. And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. 
we thank the Lord for his word this morning together. Sit back, listen up for a short Christmas devotional we'd like to share with you. I have another Christmas devotional for you that uh, is a blessing to me. It's called The Folly of Christmas. It's written by Dr. Michael Svigel, Assistant Professor of Theological Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. The Folly of Christmas. When measured against the world's wisdom, the Christmas story sounds foolish. The eternal God becoming human makes less sense than a man becoming an ant. But if the nativity sounds absurd in 2015, you should have tried preaching it in the year 215. When ancient Christians insisted that the true God united with true humanity, folks would cringe. Spiritual divinity and fleshly humanity don't mix. Look at it from their perspective. Without access to modern hygiene and medicine, most people in the year 215 had a bleak perspective when it came to physical bodies and aging. Inevitable aging and untreatable diseases reminded them of human mortality. Everybody was sliding toward death. So why would the living God have anything to do with this mess? Yes, in the year 215, as in the year 2015, the words, the word became flesh, sounded like so much folly. Yet, Christians insisted on the folly of Christmas as true wisdom, boldly proclaiming that the holy God was born in a musty stable. In fact, in his defense of the Incarnation, written around the year 215, the Church Father Tertullian acknowledged that the Nativity frustrated the refined philosophers of his day. And this is what Tertullian wrote, quote, It is, of course, foolish if we are to judge God by our own conceptions. End of quote. So why would Christians in the year 215, live and die for such a far-fetched folly? Because it's true. Tertullian famously turned the tables on the folly of Christmas when he declared, the fact is certain because it is impossible. That's amazing. The fact is certain because it is impossible. In other words, no new religion with worldwide ambitions would make up something like the word became flesh. Yes, the incarnation takes the award for the most unbelievable religious claim. But isn't that the point? Isn't the foolishness of God wiser than man's wisdom? Isn't the weakness of God stronger than man's strength? So, here in 2015, embrace the folly of Christmas and troll those ancient carols with confidence. Let us pray. 
Lord, we thank and praise you for the miracle and the wonder of the unexpected of Christmas, that you would send your only son, Father, and that he would willingly come to be born of a woman, a virgin woman as a miracle, and then to take on humanity, to take on human body that could experience all the things that we do for the express purpose that Christ would lay down that human body in physical death for us, that he would shed his blood for sinners like all of us and would offer us the surety of forgiveness of our sins in heaven one day as grace gifts, grace gifts that can only be received by putting our full trust onto Christ alone, onto his person, who he is, and onto his works, what he did. May every listener in the sound of my voice be trusting Christ alone this Christmas and therefore be saved, converted, born again. I ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I want to wish you a Merry Christmas Eve Eve. And today we're going to look at God's Word as we consider our last part of the problem with Christmas. And I want you to imagine Christmas movies. And a lot of them have to do with a miracle. A lot of them have different miracles in them. A lot of them have, as we consider one of the most popular uh, movies, Miracle on 34th Street. You know, we see different miracles that happen in different movies. I want you to think, why do a lot of miracles happen in Christmas movies? Maybe the reason Christmas is so filled with stories with miracles is that most people are desperate to see a miracle happen in their own lives. You see, once a year, I think most people believe it's fun to imagine what life would be like if miracles really did happen. Don't get me wrong. Most people want to believe in miracles, but most people simply don't. For most miracles, miracles are things that only happen in the movies. But as we consider and we know, Jesus himself did a lot of miracles. As we consider the, the Christmas story, it's a miracle in itself. You know, when we consider what has happened and we consider the, the whole Christmas story, I want us to look at a couple of things. Whether you're fully on board with the miracles or they may think, you may say, well, yeah, right, they, the, the Bible makes up the Christmas story. I want you to think of this, the virgin birth. When the angel told Mary she was going to have a baby, she was pretty confused. I'm not sure how I'd feel about this particular miracle if I were Mary or if I was Joseph in the sense. But let's just say she probably handled it better than I would have. The announcement. The birth of Jesus was announced by angels, heavenly beings that showed up and spoke to humans, announcing the good news of Jesus' birth. The star. A star appeared in the sky with a singular purpose of leading people to the location of baby Jesus. The incarnation. But let's not forget about the greatest miracle of all. God himself, the creator of the universe, came to earth and became a human. That's miraculous. And that's the miracle that I want us to focus on. You see, because you see, Christmas has always been about miracles. But in the real Christmas story, it's God, not Santa or elves, who makes the miraculous possibility possible. 
and makes it unbelievable a reality. Like we mentioned the last couple of weeks, the story of God is filled with stories of miraculous both before and after Jesus showed up. In the Old Testament, you see stories of God parting seas, setting bushes on fire, sending plagues of frogs, dropping food from the sky and delivering people from the terrible circumstances. In the New Testament, you see Jesus miraculously healing people of diseases, multiplying food to feed the hungry, raising people from the dead, and then rising from the dead himself. All of those miracles are incredible. But I still believe the most miraculous thing God has ever done was become a human. When Jesus was born, God didn't just perform any fancy miracle to demonstrate his power and might. He flipped our understanding on miracles on its head. For the miracle that is Christmas, God set aside his power and might and chose to humble himself. As we consider Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, it says this, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every name will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, Christmas is about celebrating that God can do the unbelievable. Of course, as we consider this and we, we have a challenge to ourselves that we need to adopt the same attitude that Christ Jesus as we see in verse 5. When we consider what Christ has done as he left heaven, he left everything behind to come to this earth as a babe in a manger. What a miracle to think about. The incarnation. As he considered he was God, 100% man, 100% God, that we could never wrap our minds around. But he never used that. He never used the ability of that. He humbled himself to become obedient even to death on a cross. You see, when we consider death on a cross, it was the lowliest death that anyone could face. It was the death of a criminal. As we know Jesus and we see what he has done, he walked the face of the earth as a perfect man. No need to, to die this way. But we see this is what God had planned. We see this is what God had done. You see, as we consider it, as Charles Spurgeon said, in the cross there is a cure for every spiritual disease. There is food for every spiritual virtue in the Savior. We never go to him too often. You see, he's there for us. He's always there for us. He's always been there for us. He's there and the same God for us in the good times as the bad times. Verse 9 continues, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name. And as we consider this and we think of this day, it's going to be a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What a day that's going to be when we consider that. But then we have to understand as we consider Christmas, this is all because of the first Christmas. You see, when Jesus was born in that manger on that first Christmas day, he knew exactly what he was doing. The fact that he chose the path and made the sacrifice for us is truly a miracle when we consider it. What he did for us. You know, I want to challenge you as we 
you know, close this whole series on the problem with Christmas. I think that too many times, again, we have allowed, you know, popularity, we've allowed the things, the advertisements and stuff to dictate to us what Christmas is all about. And I think that we get so caught up in that, that we forget about Christ. We forgot about the true meaning of Christmas. I want us to really understand and look at that this Christmas, let's celebrate that God can do the unbelievable in us. As when I consider my life, what God has done, it only could be God. Because in my own flesh, in my own patterns, I would desire everything of the world. I would want nothing to do with God. I would do my own thing. I would follow my own ways. But thank you for the gift of, of Jesus coming to this earth and dying on the cross to save me from my sin. Because for me, I know what my life was before Christ and what it is today. And, and I know that this was the greatest decision that I could have ever made. As I consider, you know, Christ in Christmas, you know, not the gifts that we get, not that, you know, all the, the nice things, but, you know, Christmas become a stressful time for people because we get upset because we can't get that special gift. But let's not forget Christ. Let's not forget the reason we celebrate. For it is unbelievable to think what Christ has done for us, that he that he has come to this earth to die for us, to save us. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says this, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask, or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a challenge for us to think about. That this God wants something to do with us. That he is able to do above and beyond anything that we can ask. That he would want a relationship with you. That he would want a relationship with me. Again, I hope that as we have looked over this last month, and we've looked at the problem of Christmas, that this hasn't just become, you know, oh, about, you know, the, the birth and, you know, that's it. But that we go from the beginning. And we see, saw from Genesis all the different ways of, that, that God sent different people. And the people didn't listen. Then he had 400 years of silence. And now he says, Emmanuel, God with us. What a gift. What a perfect gift. This isn't a gift that you're going to take back to return because you don't like it. It's a gift that lasts forever. It's a gift that is there for us. It's a gift that costs Jesus his life for you and for me. What greater gift can we give to him than to give our lives over to him so that he could do great things in us? Because when we consider our lives, what they would be if Christ did not come, we have to just say thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Because we are so grateful for the gift of Jesus Christ. So I just want to wish you a Merry Christmas. And I hope that, again, as you think about, you know, in two days, open up any gifts that you would not forget the gift of Jesus Christ. We want to conclude this Echoes of Calvary broadcast with a Puritan prayer. 
the Puritan prayer, the mover, O supreme moving cause, may I always be subordinate to thee, be dependent upon thee, be found in the path where thou dost walk and where thy spirit moves. Take heed of estrangement from thee, of becoming insensible to thy love. Thou dost not move men like stones, but dost endue them with life, not to enable them to move without thee, but in submission to thee, the first mover. O Lord, I am astonished by the difference between my receivings and my deservings, between the state I am now in and my past gracelessness, between the heaven I am bound for and the hell I merit. Who made me to differ but thee? For I was no more ready to receive Christ than were others. I could not have begun to love thee hadst thou not first loved me or been willing unless thou hadst first made me so. Oh, that such a crown should fit the head of such a sinner. Such high advancement be for an unfruitful person. Such joys for so vile a rebel. Infinite wisdom cast the design of salvation into the mold of purchase and freedom. Let wrath deserved be written on the door of hell, but the free gift of grace on the gate of heaven. I know that my sufferings are the result of my sinning, but in heaven both shall cease. Grant me to attain this haven and be done with sailing. And may the gales of thy mercy blow me safely into harbor. Let thy love draw me nearer to thyself. Wean me from sin. Mortify me to this world. And make me ready for my departure hence. Secure me by thy grace as I sail across this stormy sea. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Today, our worship service begins at 10.30 a.m. in the sanctuary located at 62 Collins Avenue. We invite you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or write us at P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.